For these few weeks leading uh, into uh, our Thanksgiving service, we're reflecting together on uh, Sabbath. And last week we looked at the ceasing aspect of Sabbath, and today we're going to look at Sabbath as resting. And um, we're going to read together uh, from Exodus chapter 20 and then also from Matthew chapter 11. As we prepare to hear God's word, let's pray together. God, we quiet ourselves before you this morning. We want to hear from you and from your word. For we know that it gives direction to our lives, a direction that leads to life, a direction that leads to, full, leads to fullness, and it gives us a direction that leads us to be all that you want us to be. In Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then from Matthew chapter 11, uh, just these few verses, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. I heard a story about a woman from another culture who moved to the United States. After living here for a while, she began to introduce herself as busy. After all, it was the first thing that she often heard. Hi, I'm busy. She figured this was part of the traditional greeting. Maybe that's why Jesus offered his invitation. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Many of us define ourselves by our busyness. We're weary with busyness. Unless you're very, very young or maybe deep into your sunset years, you experience life in a hurry. Life is busy hopping from one thing to another. You're startled awake by an alarm clock and begin a mad dash through your day, connecting with people, places, appointments, work, school. Life goes by as a blur. Let's just take a moment to assess. Here's some diagnostic questions to help you determine whether you're ill with the too-busy flu. Do you regularly work longer than your contracted hours? Do you check work emails and phone messages at home? Have you already checked them in the little time you've been here at worship? Has anyone ever said to you, I don't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? Do your family or friends complain about not getting time with you? Do you often feel tired during the day or do you find your neck and shoulders aching? Do you often exceed the speed limit while driving? Do you 
pray with your children regularly or do you have enough time to pray? Do you have a hobby in which you're actively involved? Do you eat together as a family or household at least once a day? In 1967, there were predictions that by 1985, people would be working only 22 hours a week. Today, Americans lead the industrialized world in annual work hours. Busyness consumes our lives. Often we're stressed by work, making time for loved ones, connecting with friends, exercising, being involved in church or community. We are crazy busy. Some have claimed that Chinese characters for busyness are heart and killing. Makes for a nice story, but it's probably not the case. But this is true. Busyness kills our hearts as we make an idol of our exhaustion. Kevin DeYoung in his book, Crazy Busy, notes there are three dangers we face. One danger, busyness can ruin our joy. If our lives are frantic and frenzied, we're likely to be more anxious, to resent more, to grow impatient, to be irritable. Here's the thing. Unless we rest from busyness, it will kill us. A second danger. Busyness can rob our hearts. The cares of the world, our worries, can overwhelm our lives. Life gets choked out by the everyday car repairs, household chores, kids' appointments or sports events, taxes getting done, checkbooks needing balancing, elderly parents to care for, weddings to plan, applications to send out, homework projects to finish, lawns needing mowing, laundry and dishes and grocery shopping. And this busyness doesn't account for other things that can consume us. Cottages, boats, campers, timeshares, investments, real estate, new cars, new houses, new computers, new phones. They all take time. DeYoung notes, if the worries of life don't swamp us, the upkeep will. And a final danger. Busyness can simply be a cover-up for the rottenness in our souls. We can grow physically and spiritually sick by the hectic pace of our lives. But worse, our crazy schedules might be warning signs that the sickness is already upon us. Extreme busyness may only be an indication of a deeper problem. Busyness may only be hiding a greater danger afflicting our lives. It may be a a cover-up for all of our feelings of emptiness. We remain busy in order to ward off the feeling that our lives are trivial or meaningless. Busyness afflicts many of us. We find our worth in it. We use busyness to escape. We get busy chasing all the wrong stuff. Dorothy Bass, who wrote about Sabbath in her book, Receiving the Day, writes about the gift of time. She says, we forget how to luxuriate in time that is not filled with tasks. We delude ourselves into believing that if we can just get everything done... If we can only tie up all the loose ends, if we can even once get ahead of the crush, we will prove our worth and establish ourselves in safety. In some, we believe that we are human doings, not human beings. Intentionally or unintentionally, we fill our days rushing to do. We can be crazy busy. 
And our Creator God invites us to rest. In fact, God commands us to rest. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Rest is so essential for our lives that God leaves nothing to chance. Remember the Sabbath. That word, Sabbath, not only means cease or stop, as we noted last week, it also means rest. We cease our work so that we discover rest for our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our spirits. We rest to be human. God calls us to rest just as God rested. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Early in the book of Genesis, the account of creation ends with God resting on the seventh day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing, so on the seventh day He rested from all His work. God didn't do this because He was tired. It seems more likely that God stopped simply to delight in His work. As someone once noted, maybe our vision of God resting should include God kicking back in a lounge chair enjoying a microbrew. Creation reaches its high point with God resting. Walter Brueggemann puts it like this. God did not show up to do more. God absented God's self from the office. God did not come and check on creation in anxiety to be sure it was all working. God has complete confidence in the fruit-bearing, blessing-generating processes of creation that have been instituted. Sabbath, a time of resting, is the last thing God created. We may think of rest as emptiness. Creation shows us rest as fullness. God rested in the fullness of the creation he had just made, the creation that was surrounding him. Sabbath then is a sort of paradise. When we rest, we enter into that place and time in which we recognize that we are with the Creator in His creation. That a Sabbath rest is a a time to remember that God is our Creator and Provider. Sabbath is a time for us to accept that we are humans created by God. We are God's very own. Sabbath reminds us whose we are and who we are. See, practicing Sabbath isn't about the work that we've finished. No, we participate in the work that God has finished. We don't have to worry about providing for ourselves. God provides. God even provides redemption in Christ when we were enslaved to sin. Sabbath rest is a time to remember who we are. Mark Buchanan offers this definition of Sabbath. Sabbath is when we imitate God to remember that we are not God. We rest in imitation of God who rested to remind ourselves that we are people redeemed in Jesus Christ. God is in control. We are not. 
Part of Sabbath rest then is trusting God. That God is the sovereign one, we are not. That God cares for all things. Our days begin with alarm clocks often. The alarm startles us awake, the music blares, the alarm buzzes. Wake up! Wake up! Get going! Hebrew Sabbath begins otherwise. Genesis 1 says about each day of creation, there was evening and there was morning. Hebrew Sabbath begins in the evening when three stars are visible in the sky, Sabbath begins. The Hebrew day begins at the end of the day. The Hebrew day begins with this first act of humanity. We sleep. I sleep because God is at work. Psalm 14, Psalm 4 says, In peace I'll lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Sabbath reminds us that every day we're to trust God who works long before us and will work long after us. When I wake rested, I join God's work that has already begun. So the rhythm of our lives is rest, then work. One plus six. Too often we have a six plus one spirituality. We're too exhausted from our work. We need a weekend to recharge our batteries so that we can get back to work. That cadence of life is all about us. We can even carry this flavor into our Sabbath observance. Many of us grew up with a Sabbath or Sunday legalism. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it boring. We reduce the Sabbath to mere technicalities. What we do or don't do is what determines our Sabbath. When we make Sabbath that way, we make it all about us. And we lose sight of that one plus six rhythm. We're convinced that our work, our activity, even our Sabbath legalism is what God wants. That maybe uh, what we believe, what we believe is that in fact it's what God needs from us. But the truth is, God needs nothing. But God delights in what He's made. On the seventh day, God rested. So Sabbath isn't some divine afterthought. In fact, on the seventh day, God rested to delight even in the fact that we are. One writer notes, God's rest is not simply a cessation from activity, but rather the lifting up and the celebration of everything. Renowned architect Frank Lloyd Wright told of an incident that had a profound influence on him. The winter, he said, when he was nine years old, he went for a walk across a snow-covered field with his no-nonsense uncle. They reached the far end of the field, and his uncle stopped him and turned him around and pointed out his own tracks in the snow. The uncle pointed to his tracks and noted how they were straight and true as an arrow in flight. And then he pointed out young Frank's tracks. He said, notice how your tracks wander aimlessly from fence to cattle to the woods and back again. See how my tracks aim directly to my goal. There's an important lesson in that, said his uncle. 
And Frank Lloyd Wright agreed. And he determined from that moment on he would not miss most things in life as his uncle did. Remember the Sabbath is not holding to a set of rules that restricts life. No, Sabbath points us back as God did to the creation God has made. Sabbath points to our redemption in Jesus Christ. We are created by God and made new in Christ. And so God invites us to rest in Him, to trust God who gives us sleep at night so that we'll wake in the new day in order to join God in His work. We can enter a day of Sabbath rest fully confident that we live our lives in God's gracious provision. We participate in the work that Christ has already finished. And we imitate God by resting just to remind ourselves that we are not God. But Sabbath is more than just a day. We not only live in God's provision for today, we live in God's promise for the eternal. Christ offers us a new humanity. The Apostle Paul calls it a new creation. And the author of Hebrews speaks of a Sabbath rest ahead of us. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that, we know, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Sabbath is meant to give us a taste of life as God meant it. We experience the goal of our faith as we engage Sabbath rest. Sabbath is the end for which God created us. Back in Rome, Governor Pliny once wrote to Emperor Trajan, He was trying to figure out this new group of people called Christians. And he spoke to Trajan about what they do. He noted they gather before dawn on the first day of the week and they sing a hymn to Christ as God. Pliny noticed that Christians exhibited a joy that he had never seen before in any other people. Their focus was bearing witness to this new thing that had come. And they began their weeks with one thing in mind, worshiping the one who makes all things new. There's this story in the Gospel of Luke. It's a story about Jesus making a visit to the home of Martha and Mary. Mark Buchanan calls this story an acted-out parable of Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. Maybe you remember the story. Jesus and his disciples are traveling along. And Martha invites them to come into her home for some hospitality. Mary was there too. And she sat at Jesus' feet listening to him. But Martha was busy preparing. Luke says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And Martha was upset at Mary. She complained to Jesus about having to do all the work. If Jesus cared, he'd tell Mary to help. And Jesus replied, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. You are worried, you're distracted by many things. Martha was lost in her multitasking. She missed the simplicity of the one thing. 
Jesus had arrived to bring newness into her home. She was so caught up, so distracted by the many things of her life, she couldn't even enjoy Jesus. Jesus' invitation was simple. Don't just do something. Sit there. When we enter Sabbath rest, what we discover is God's presence. That is, we discover the promise of God's future breaking into our present. Marva Dawn puts it like this. Spiritual rest enables us to let God be God. When we cease from all our labors to control or to understand, there is time in our space for the eternal. Sabbath resting gives us this preview of eternal life. We celebrate Sabbath in anticipation of the time when we will enter into the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Marva Dawn describes how the Advent season is an especially strong expression of this anticipation for her. The season of Advent, she says, helps her to realize this eternal character of Sabbath. On the first Sunday of Advent, she puts up her angel choir and manger scene, but she doesn't put the Christ child in the manger yet. And she uses this symbol to remind her what it means that Jesus came the first time, and she also uses it to repent of the fact that she is not ready for his coming again. See, she loses track of Jesus in her daily life. And so this choir and manger scene help her to yearn for his coming again, to anticipate the return of Jesus. When we gather for our Sunday and Sabbath worship, there's always a bit of yearning in our celebration. We confess that we are not what God wants us to be. And that confession creates a longing in us for the time when we will enter into God's ultimate rest. We want Jesus to come and make his home with us. Our worship plants in us a glimpse of and a longing for God's eternal. Not that it's going to be some kind of eternal worship service. No, that's not the case. It is to live as if. We are in God's eternal. The Heidelberg Catechism comments that one of the implications of keeping Sabbath is this. That every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. In the Genesis account of creation, each of the days of creation end with the phrase, and there was evening and morning, and then it names the day. There was evening and morning the first day. There was evening and morning the second day. The third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. Except that phrase is missing from the seventh day. Genesis 2 does not say, and there was evening and morning the seventh day. Rather, we're told, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. There's this eternal character 
to God's rest. Now it's true, sin interrupted God's good creation. And because of sin, God's creation rest became unavailable to us. But in Jesus, we rediscover God's creation rest. Come to me, says Jesus. I will give you rest. And the rest Jesus gives us isn't just for a day. His rest stretches into eternity. We will not find rest in the things we chased after. We will not find rest in the fleeting or the self-centered. We will find God's rest as we enter into his Sabbath rest and our lives become ordered by his priorities, just as God intended in creation. Sabbath is when we imitate God to remind ourselves that we are not God. Not just for a day, but for eternity. We'll close this morning with a prayer exercise based on Psalm 4610. As I say these words, I'd like you to allow them to to lead you into a quiet and restful space before God. And then I'll close with prayer. Quiet yourselves in God's presence and hear these words. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Jesus, we come to you as we are, weary, worn, sad. Jesus, we find in you a resting place, the rest of God, now and for eternity. Jesus, work in us by your Spirit so that we begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Jesus, teach us the unforced rhythms of your grace. Jesus, move us by your spirit to rest in the joy of what you are. Amen.